you hear, see here, this is a fucking IRA, right? There's a bomb in a bin, right? You've got 30 minutes. Because <laughs> the IRA were really kind terrorists. Hello, Internet. You're listening to the In Your House Comedy Podcast with... KD and Kersey. Now hold on to your butts. Keep your arms and legs inside the podcast at all times. Prepare to have an autographical orgasm in three, two, 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 one. Okay, so welcome everybody then to the KD and Cozy podcast, a show where we talk about all things weird and or interesting. I am your resident stand-up comedian, KD Hinken. Unfortunately, Cozy cannot be here this week, but I am joined by a special guest, a fellow funny friend of mine from around the comedy circuit. He is the epitome of German engineering and the minister <laughs> of the middle class masses. Then I get the minister of the middle class masses. Please welcome Mr. Alex Plant. How are you, dude? Hello. You're right. Good to meet you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Oh, so, how you doing, dude? Ve- uh, very good. A little bit depressed after the quiz the other day, but you were great in it. So thank you very much for you, did man. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, it was so much fun. Like, honestly, like, creating some of the material for it was... Um, so those news stories, oh, I sat and I wrote... Yeah, so I sat and I wrote those, like the Penguin one and all that sort of stuff. I literally sat and, like, wrote them like I was writing material. So just explain um, exactly what the game was then for anyone that didn't see it, you know. Yeah, so the game was uh, a game that I call Fat or Fiction, where basically, um, obviously, the media's been a little bit mental recently with the whole obesity crisis and everything like that. I was like, right, how can I make this funny? So I took uh, media stories, a bit like Have I Got News For You, and took media stories and headlines uh, and the gist of a story. And uh, the contestants basically had to decide whether or not it was fat uh, i.e. a Real. true story, uh, or fiction. I completely made it up. So, obviously, I had to write a load of fake yeah, that, that's, news stories. That's the thing. We were thinking originally, when you said this concept, we were like, well, any of the ones he's going to write, he's gonna, they're going to be shorter, they're not going to be as long or something. But no, no, you put effort into that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, literally, I, I sat as if I was writing uh, material. So, it was literally a case of, like, right, okay, what would the news uh, thing do and it, it slipped up um, a few people and it was really uh, really fun it. to do. Okay. Come on, football. Oh, was it the sorry. one that you did? That, uh, oh God, sorry. Okay, I get it. <laughs> Fucking hell, she's watching that charity football thing that's going on on ITV at the moment. Oh yeah, yeah, it's so great. There's uh, the other one was uh, off the script. Like I thought that was quite a difficult round, but. Yeah, I thought, uh, I'll be honest, I thought I would have done a lot better on that because I love my films and that, but I think I knew for definite too. And that was yeah. probably just even the actor. No, there was one where I knew the actor and the um, and the film. It was Airplane. That was the yeah. only one I knew. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to talk about who came in last or anything, though. We can move so, on. To that. Yeah, yeah, just, just you, KD, just you. Oh, no, you did a really good job, man. I really enjoyed that as well. Fucking chilling for me. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really fun. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to do it again, but I'm sure. Are you coming on the next one? On uh, the yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, I'm the resident Alan Davies now, so uh, so yeah, it's uh, 
it's good to be uh, be involved in it, in all fairness because it's just nice to get like everyone together because the comedy scene exactly yeah it's it's the one thing we have at the moment because I mean I'm still debating now how alive the comedy the live comedy scene is but it's still it's something but we still need something else basically. Yeah. Kind of yeah, it's it's still it's got a pulse. It's still, yeah. you know, the heart's beating. It's just you know slightly comatose. It's yeah. a bit like if you went out drinking for seven days straight on Freshers Week, um, the hangover, like it's probably about four weeks. It's it's yeah. you know it's in that stage. It's in the hangover stage. Yeah. Before we go on, I saw a fucking great kind of true crime story the other day that was on Judge Rinder, and I had to just quickly mention this. Yeah. Um, there was a guy, basically they were a bingo kind of, um, two guys, they were a bingo, rave bingo they did, but it basically just involved a guy in a gorilla suit, um, mm. but it was a um, cross-dressing gorilla that had like rollers in his hair, had like a bra on, usually a skirt, and he rode around in a mobility scooter. <laughs> And what they decided to do was they were going to go like on the island, you know, just advertise a bit with the gorilla there, talking to the people in the car, showing the sign, all that. Mm. And four people legitimately thought that a gorilla had escaped from the zoo up the road and they called the police and the police came down with guns and everything drawn on the fucking gorilla. That's it. Wow. Wow. Is, do, by the way, I meant to ask you, do you want to go first or second today? I'll go first. I'll go first. Yeah, I'll go first because I I quite like uh, the the story um, that I've got, uh, the true crime story, because uh, they did a film about it as well, which is really cool. Cool. Um, So you ever heard of anyone called uh, a bloke called Mr. Nice? Mr. Nice. Mr. Nice. No. So Mr. Nice is a guy called Howard Marks, right? And Howard Marks is the guy who basically introduced the UK to cannabis, right? Okay. So so he was a Welsh uh, guy and he he was like the only one in his town um, is talking 1960s. um, And he basically grew up and he went to... um, uh, well, schools. He went to a grammar school, and then he got into Oxford. Um, and whilst he was Oxford, at Oxford, he discovered marijuana, and then uh, basically started uh, selling marijuana to um, his uh, sort of uh, university friends. Yeah. And then sort of branched out, and he uh, basically got in, in touch with a. a, a drug dealer uh, in uh, Afghanistan, a supplier in Afghanistan of um, hashish, um, so uh, basically rocks. So um, he started bringing over huge quantities of hashish. Um, So so he needed a way in order to get into, um, like, bring it, smuggling all this stuff over. So obviously the IRA was a big thing at the time. Um, and he uh, basically uh, got in with James McCann. James Mm -hmm. McCann is the name of the IRA IRA guy. This guy would basically, uh, they would uh, import huge amounts into Ireland and then uh, get the ferry over from Ireland and drive, because the IRA had 
control of an airport in yeah. um, in Ireland, and yeah. they would drive over from um, Ireland to Wales and basically take yeah, it yeah. into the UK. And the reason he got the name Mr. Nice is he stole the passport off um, a guy. Uh, so he bought a stolen passport off a guy, uh, like a murderer, who was uh, nicknamed was um, his surname was Nice, and he became Mr. Nice. Wait, so he, he to cover his identity, he took the identity of a murderer. Basically, yeah. And like he what? wasn't a murderer at the time, and then later on, it was found out that he was a murderer, and that's yeah. how he got the name Mr. Nice. Um, because he stole this guy's name, but yeah, basically, James McCann was a, a drug runner for the uh, not a drug runner, gun runner, uh, for uh, the IRA, and oh, he would do, yeah, he'd do oh. things like, um, he would stop, um, so obviously, when the heat got a bit too hot, he would then call in like an IRA thing, so uh, if they were like getting a bit too, if the police were getting a bit too hot on the trail of these drugs. He'd phone up and do the standard IRA thing of, right, you hear, see here, this is a fucking IRA, right? There's a bomb in the bin, right? You've got 30 minutes. Because <laughs> the IRA were really kind terrorists. They would phone up and let you know that there was a bomb. Well, like, yeah, <laughs> I have seen that a few times, yeah. <laughs> it's like the weirdest kind of terrorism ever. Like, yeah. really nice people. Like, the Irish are really nice people. They phone up and tell you that there's a bomb outside. They're like, okay. they tell you how long you've got. It's like, what? <laughs> it makes no like, sense. From a terror organisation, um, they just want to install fear. So I suppose that would work. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I think that is like a much simpler kind of terrorism. I think it's fantastic. I think, you know, like just phoning up and saying (laughs) saying there's a bomb outside. It's just like simpler times, simpler times, man. Yeah. But yeah, so. um, (laughs) Yeah, homegrown, homegrown terrorism as well. Um, Do you remember Umbridge Farm? What is that Umbridge Farm? Doesn't matter, carry on. Uh, so one of the guys that he went to Oxford with, he basically was approached by a guy called Hamilton Macmillan, uh, who was part of, uh, who was recruited into MI6. So for a while, all the stuff that he did was overlooked by the authorities because he was helping MI6 with the IRA. Yeah, yeah. So, like, honestly, like, the, the ultimate sort of thing in regards to, like, a, a, a massive drug dealer, um, you know, introducing the UK to, to millions upon millions of pounds worth of hashish, right? He then got in with the uh, with MI6, and MI6 can, is basically covering up for yeah. him because he's helping them with the IRA. I, I can see them, like, you know, choosing to combat the IRA over just shipping in but which they probably yeah. there wasn't there probably wasn't as much of a um of a taboo about it then either because it's been smeared a lot more since. So back then they probably just saw it for what it was. Yeah, you know? this was sort of you know sixties and seventies. Um, yeah, exactly. So you know you're talking late sixties. Um, so it's about cocaine, so I ain't going to give a shit about both. You know? Yeah, late sixties when he started, nineteen seventy two when he started, uh, he was making fifty thousand pounds. In 1972, per shipment, that's a lot now with Ireland. That's isn't it? a lot of money. That is yeah. a lot of money nowadays. Um, I'm, and then he branched... there, but I'm probably guessing around like 200 grand or something. Sounds like the right 
kind of easily thing. easily yeah. uh, you're probably talking probably you know more than that 250 a quarter of a mil easy and um he then started shipping out to the united states through the brotherhood of eternal love like there was this like brotherhood set up it was really like a cult and he started shipping like all the marijuana out to there a cult of a load of stone if that sounds like a cult for me that does mm, yeah yeah together talking about what is consciousness i don't know yeah it was basically a bunch of hippies and um he he basically um one of his guys got uh got arrested uh so he was arrested in 1973 and skipped bail and basically the british press sort of made him a nationally known figure um and he, he basically just escaped all over uh europe um because he would ship out his um drugs in uh, music equipment oh, uh, yeah. under like fake bands that were touring America and stuff like that and he was only discovered when one of the authorities broke out like they dropped a speaker yeah. and the speaker came apart and obviously all this hashish is in oh. the speaker I mean it's smart yeah. because um, the one thing I watched about specifically about um the IRA was uh, the show band massacre and they were talking about how the bands would go from one to the other and then go somewhere else. And that's the thing that makes sense would be traveling around then. So, yeah. 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 And by this point then, I'm guessing the police had had enough of it. Basically. Yeah. By like 75, he was, you know, he got his sort of drug empire. Um, so 1975, he was like massive drug empire. And then, Obviously, America got pissed off with him, uh, so America started cracking down on on the the drug thing, um, other cartels and other things that were going on, and he yeah. was starting to sort of lose his uh, touch. Oh, of course, yeah, because wouldn't that be around all the same time as like um, what's his name? That you know, the one everyone knows, um, Escobar, Pablo Escobar. Escobar. That's the yeah. one, yeah. That kind of time, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so obviously, like, the smuggling and stuff like that, obviously different drug, but, like, you know, the whole smuggling ring and everything. And, and the well, they, DEA's, they were all in the book too, they were. Yeah, I mean, the DEA is, like, cracking down at this point on, on everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah. And Marx was basically uh, put in prison. I mean, he didn't go into prison until, like, the, the mid-'80s. So you're talking the mid '80s. This guy from late '60s to mid '80s has been oh, wow. running a massive drugs empire. You know, part funded, well, part helped by MI6 and the IRA, yeah. right? That's, um, that's that's more. I think I'd be more surprised when when you find out those kind of stories of these huge like corporations, like drug corporations that haven't had somehow back in the day from the police or whatever, you know, some kind of governing body. I think that's more surprising. Yeah, the irony was he was busted by the Royal Canadian Mounties. Oh. He was busted by the Mounties in 1988. Oh. Any so, any corners he built up just disappeared in that moment. Yeah, just just completely disappeared. Um, but he uh, studied law uh, whilst he was in prison, um, and he would help other people to, um, you know, the people who weren't. Um, 
hadn't got proper lawyers and all that sort of stuff by yeah, the state. Yeah, he yeah. he would basically help them whilst in prison. He got off. Uh, he was meant to do wow. um, twenty odd years, and he got off with seven seven years. That's a, he got it's a really prison. strange thing that you'd imagine that out of anything you'd let a criminal learn, law wouldn't be the first. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> fair enough. Whatever, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, basically got out. Um, in the late 90s uh, and started writing his autobiography so yeah. Mr. the books and, and then um, about 10 years ago a film came out by the title Mr. Nice and that's essentially how he got into the public eye he died uh, died about three years ago I think it was, um, I think it was in the film I think I'm thinking of Mr. Nice Guy. Is that the same thing? So, was Nice Guy. So, film came out ten years ago, 2010. Reese was Howard Marks. Omar Jalili played Salim Malik, the drug runner in Afghan. Basically, you I mean, you got... sold me with Reese and to be honest, yeah. Uh, who else? Oh, David. Uh, David Ferris was uh, Jim McCann. I don't know that person. Oh, is it one of them ones I'll probably know his face when I look at him? Yeah, probably. God. And Howard Marks himself was in the film. Yeah, 2010. Mr. Oh, Marks. Oh, wow. Oh, no, I don't I'm definitely going to watch this now, though, to be honest with you. Really good film, mate. Really, really good film. Damn good actors all playing him. Nah, that's that's cool. Howard, Howard Marks, Mr. Nice. Cool. All right, thank you for adding, Alex. I, I like that one. You're welcome. I, I, it's, it's quite surprising to me, to be honest, that I don't know the person that brought... Or don't know the story at all of the person who brought Bud to England. Basically, yeah. Like yeah. he just made it like he flooded the market, basically. Yeah, he t- turned it into like, you know, made it so that it's everywhere, turned it into yeah. That's the thing actually, yeah. You always hear about like Coke and stuff coming over and all the big drugs and that. You never hear about Bud. Yeah. Even I've never thought about it. Well, a lot of it is homegrown now. Yeah. Like there's just warehouses and stuff like that. Man, one got busted by me the other day. I was so sad. I saw it South Yardley, like uh, about, I don't know, five minutes from me. I was like, oh, no. My dealer's okay, so it's fine. My illegal florist is fine. Good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then, yeah. So, um, as always, then, the KD and Kersey podcast, or KD and Alex podcast today, is brought to you by Nobody's Priority Apparel Clothing. If you go on and use promo code KD Promo, and that's KD Promo with zeros instead of O's, and you get 25% off. But more importantly than anything, it helps us get a bit of money. So you'll have these soon, actually. Oh, I forgot. I'll have these on there soon. Oh, KD Kersey masks. Oh, I forgot about this, Al. I was wearing this on the whole quiz on my head. I completely forgot to make a mention of it. I had it like tied around my head with um, some wool, like some wool that my mum used for knitting. Completely forgot about it the whole time. Your organisation is like the the worst. It's just like... <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come natural to me, man. I'm better than I used to be, trust me. Yeah. So just go on to that then. You can get on to it. Um, it's teesprings.com it is on, but I find the easiest way to go on to it is to go on to Facebook, type in nobody's priority clothing and get through it through that way. Okay then. Your turn. Do you know anything, first of all, about Lizzie Borden? Mm, name rings a bell, but no. Okay, that's what I was hoping for. 
Okay, so Lizzie Borden, me personally, I always knew her um, more the ghost story, like her house is apparently haunted um, mm. by her and by the other people involved in the story in a minute. Um, I was just watching a ghost hunt of it about like uh, like a year ago, and then I found out a little bit of the history, so I found out more about it now. It's quite interesting. Yeah. So it is. Uh, we're over to America. It's Fall River in Massachusetts on August 4th, 1892. Just a quick explanation of what happened first. Basically, the bodies of Andrew and Abby Borden were found hacked to death in their home. And based on the wounds that they had inflicted, it was believed that they were killed with an axe or a hatchet-type weapon. Um, however, the only piece of evidence collected from the scene was a totally clean hatchet head and no handle was ever recovered. Um, living in the house at the time was Lizzie Borden, who was 32 years old, her sister Emma Borden, 41 years old, um, Andrew Borden, the one victim, her, mother, his, her father, um, Abby Borden, the other victim, her stepmother. There was also John Morse, the, an uncle who was visiting, um, and then there was Maggie, the family maid. However, Emma Borden, the sister, was out of town at the time of the murder. It's like Clue, though. <laughs> uh, so that's the Where's Professor Plum? He he makes an appearance, though, don't you? I, uh, Colonel Mustard. <laughs> well, do, do you know what, though? In all fairness, he's very much like that because the way I always heard this story, uh, mm -hmm. well, before I heard the story, sorry, I just heard Lizzie Borden. I always assumed it was something where it was like, okay, she's an evil fucker, you know, no doubt about it all. But then I read the story and I'm like, okay, that doesn't make sense. So see what you think. Um, so the timeline for the actual day of the murder anyway. So 7 a.m., um, Abby's stepmother, Andrew the father, and John the uncle were having breakfast, which was prepared by Maggie, and I could hear everything you're typing. Sorry. <laughs> it's cool. Oh, then. So I got a... Got a message I just got a reply to. Okay, you know, you know when you're sort of like you get a message, you're like, need to reply to that, otherwise they're gonna think I'm dead. It's like yeah. I'm, that. I, I have to remind myself to message back to you. You've probably seen it yourself, like you message me and it takes me like four hours to get back to you. Yeah. Um okay then. So seven AM, Abby, Andrew and John had breakfast, which was prepared by Maggie the maid. Um, the Uncle John then announced that he was going to see other relatives from around town. At about 8.30am, John Morse leaves the house. Um, Lizzie didn't come back, come down for breakfast that morning because she was feeling sick because the whole family had had food poisoning over the last couple of days. Ooh. Yeah. Um, there is a weird testimony in regards to that, but I'll mention it later. But it wasn't used in court, though, so it's a bit, you know... Mm. Uh, but 9am, Andrew Borden left to go to work. Um, at this time, Lizzie, or a bit after, doesn't, it's not specific on the time frame of this exact bit, but Lizzie then sent the maid outside to wash the windows, which the maid did, but she started being ill outside because of the food poisoning and um, returned to the house. And as she was returning to the house at about 11am, um, Andrew Borden was coming back from work. Um, he was letting the house... He was letting the what house... What year did this happen? 1892. 1892. 1892, nice little historic one. Yeah, so as she was going back in, Andrew Borden was coming back to the house because he didn't feel uh, very well either, so he decided to come back in and he was going to um, sleep on the 
Seti of the front room during his lunch break. Um, and, the, and the maid thought, okay, great. So I'm going to go have a sleep upstairs too. Hmm. Uh, which she did. She went up to the second floor room to sleep. However, before she was able to fully fall asleep, she's not too sure exactly how long after because you wouldn't be aware if you're falling asleep. But before she was able to fully fall asleep, she heard Lizzie shouting from downstairs, come down quick, father's dead, somebody's come in and killed him. <laughs> the maid stayed, she then saw Lizzie standing there, actually when she came down, she saw Lizzie standing there and Andrew Borden, who was laying on the settee with 11 axe shots to the face. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel so far with that? 11 axe shots to the face? That is a crime of passion, that is. Oh, yeah. Like, look, okay. that's like... Fucking, um, see, I so, love the psychology. I love the whole psych- psychological thing of, of murders and stuff like that. You will like them um, because I've got a little list of some of the motives and all that, so you'll like it in that case. Then. Um, but after that, though, directly after, um, Lizzie then asked the maid to go get the doctor from across the street, uh, which she did, but she also returned with the neighbour as well, who was a friend of the family. Um, mm. Lizzie then says to the maid when she comes back, and a few like five minutes later or so, um, uh, Lizzie and Tayson made referring to her stepmother. Oh, Maggie, I'm almost the maid. Oh, Maggie, I'm almost sure I heard my stepmother come in. Go upstairs and she see you there. So, Maggie and the neighbor then go upstairs, um, to discover the body of Abby Board and the stepmother laying face down, this time with 18 axe shots to the back of the head. Jesus. So even more crime of passion there, like you said. Like, once they're dead, they're dead. I mean, like, you know, stop. Just yeah. stop. <laughs> like, stop, once they stop, fall they're over, stop. They're already dead. They're not going to wake up. Like, honestly, oh. like, you you smash someone in the head with an axe a couple of times. Trust me, they're dead. They're, dead. they're oh, not going to get back up. 18 times, that's just overkill. There's pictures of the um, of how they looked because, like, the first thing I watched, it was like a little how they look. Out. I bet they didn't look like honestly. No. I bet they didn't have a face. Andrew, especially because his was the, his face was the one that was yeah, gone exactly. after. He was gone. They showed like a rendering of what it looked like after, and there was nothing there. Obviously, yeah, it doesn't go that much into the mind, but it's back of the head. So I imagine it's probably more the same. But I'm not. I was getting, I was thinking about putting the pictures on, but I decided against it. Yeah, yeah, no skull yeah. left. No, you no. hit someone in the back of the head with a hatchet, like their skull. That's that's yeah. gone. Yeah, eighteen fucking times. A couple of times have been enough. Um, so, as you've already guessed, and obviously the number one suspect was Lizzie Borden. Um, Lizzie Borden herself, though, a little bit about her. She was a very everyone that they talked to said that she was a really nice girl, a really pious girl. I think it is like religious and all that. She was a Sunday school teacher because she wasn't allowed mm. to. Have a job then, but she did Sunday school teaching. She did a lot of other things in the community. Mm. Um, Andrew Borden, her step, oh, sorry, her dad, um, had a very lucrative business, uh, but he was very frugal with his money to the point that um, he used to anger Lizzie Borden and her sister Emma that they basically lived in this big house, but they lived on a mutton only diet, basic everything, didn't have indoor water, running water, indoor plumbing, despite it being widely mm. available at the time. Um, she was also very angry as well. Um, about I think it was about five or six years before this, there was an incident where um, he bought a house for 
uh, Abby Ward and the stepmother's own daughter, so their stepsister again, mm-hmm. half sister. Um, that caused a rift between Lizzie Borden and Abby, where she went from calling her mum to Mrs. Borden. Um, eventually, the dad realised that was wrong, though, and what he actually yeah. did, he gave the deed to the house, to the house where they were all living, to Emma and Lizzie, then took it straight back about a month later. Um, also, as well, I only learned this recently, she had a, um, a bunch of pigeons on the roof, and about a week before the murders, the dad decided to kill them all um, to save space and to use the meat, and he used the hatchet to do it. Oh, okay. Never recovered. Right. That, uh, that seems to make some sense. Yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting one. Mm. Um, after the murders, though, Lizzie and her sister inherited the estate anyway and bought a new cottage following the murders with the money very quickly. Um, but by this point, everyone had already assumed it was her. So would you wait? I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's a bit like, you know, it, it sort of if everyone thinks it's you, then, you know, you just you just do it anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, um, they had um, a little rhyme that was going around for her. Uh, which is still the first, which was the first thing that I heard about Lizzie Borden ever. Like the rhyme is um, that the kids and they used to play is um, Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she realized what she'd done, she gave her father 41. Uh... Bit embellished, but what a surprise! Yeah, um, but. She'd yeah, also there's going to be a point in like 10 years' time. It's like, yeah, she hit him 574 times in the head. I'm uh, See, the thing is, though, she'd also given wildly inconsistent answers during her um, interviews with the police. Mm. Um, and it only took nine days of trial, and after only 90 minutes of the jury deliberating, she was found not guilty. Oh, well. Yeah? Mm. Uh, uh, why do you think that is? Any idea so far? Why do you think she well, was caught? They haven't really got any proof of a murder weapon. Plus, she's got pretty decent sort of testimonial alibis. I mean, all the evidence that's there is circumstantial. And the time, I forgot to mention, the time frame was really small as well. Yeah. In yeah. regards to when, um, like we said, like in regards to when the maid went down, to, um, you know, put, when she was there and Andrew went to sleep and then went up to bed, you know, very small time frame. Yeah, it's all circumstantial evidence. Exactly. Um, there was something great that I learned about from the um, inter- from the trial. Um, mm. It's got nothing to do with what happened, but I just thought it was hilarious. Um, apparently the trial started and the first thing that happened was the prosecution, um, <laughs> the prosecution walked over to the um, evidence table tripped and apparently knocked into it and knocked the two um, schools straight out of the bag and then went smashing on the floor and then Lizzie fainted. Wow. And then it had to be adjourned for two more days or something at that point. In all fairness, if you, if your main murder suspect is fainting, yeah. right, that's a pretty good giveaway that, that unless they're possessed by the devil at the time or, you know, so in the moment, because... Yeah, I know what you're saying. There's a point on the realisation of what you've done, like crime of passion. Once you realise what you've done, you know, that's it, that's yeah. it then. You're just like... Once you've got over that passion, then yeah, then it'll hit you what you've done, yeah, and you can't take it back then. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that alone, yeah, which that's why I wanted to mention because I thought it was quite interesting. Which may you may be able to see, and from some of these other things, why the tide turned in the trial. Mm-hmm. Um, so why was she innocent? Firstly, um, it came out that um, during those um, interviews where she was giving a wild inconsistent testimony, she was actually um, doped up with morphine during all of them because the doctor thought it would calm her down. Right. So she was drugged up. So you know. Yeah. I lost. So that's fair yeah, enough. Fair play. Fair play. How was there, was he? <laughs> but the thing is, none of that mattered anyway, though, because let's be fair, in a trial, they could swing it either way. Even if she was on morphine and they brought it into trial, the prosecution could swing it. But it didn't matter yeah. because she was never read her Miranda rights before the interviews, which means she was not aware of her right to remain silent. So all of these uh... interviews were not admissible in court. They never heard them. Yeah. Um, but for the last key piece of evidence, though, you need to go back to the maid's testimony, um, mm. which is what we covered earlier, mainly. Um, so she stated that when she ran down the stairs to see Andrew Borden dead, Lizzie Borden was wearing a blue dress, the same blue dress that she'd been wearing earlier, and it was completely unstained and cleaned. The defence pointed out that the time frame was far too small, as she would have had to kill Andrew, disposed of her... Well, no, sorry, she would have had to... Change out of hers first, but that could have been any time. Um, and she would have had to kill Andrew, dispose of her blood-soaked clothes and the murder weapon, which was never found, clean herself off, put on a new dress, which is a very long process back then, apparently. Yeah, um, massive. Like, honestly, that's why you had chambermaids. Yeah, exactly. So all of that in about the space of five minutes. Wow. And God knows where she would have gone to dispose of this weapon, because like I said, there was only ever a hatchet. So if we assume the hatchet in the bathroom, in the in the basement, sorry, was a murder weapon. She would have had to somehow clean that all up and get rid of the handle for some reason. Yeah. So, Can't do it. no. There was no physical evidence, like you've already said, whatsoever that tied her to the crime, despite a year of investigation prior to the trial. So a year of it, and they still, that's all they could do. In all fairness, though, I mean, all the technology and everything back then was just, they hadn't really got any. Apparently, they had fingerprints. They had all fingerprint um, technology because they said they didn't find any prints or anything down there. Yeah, yeah, they had fingerprint technology back then, uh, but that was about the base of uh, the technology. DNA wasn't didn't come about until 60s, 70s. Later than that. I think it was like more 80s, like 80s, 90s, man. Mm. Right, but and even that, like most of that was like debatable because they would do like the whole what was it the um, secreta thing. And all yeah. these, there was a load of weird things about it, ain't there, that they used to do. Yeah. But, I mean, personally, I wouldn't even be surprised anyway if the fingerprints back then wouldn't have been, you know, they weren't, wouldn't have been particularly good at it, you know, at setting it all off. You know what I mean? Like, no. it wouldn't have been as bang on as it is now. No, you haven't got dust and whatever. You haven't got, you know, they'd use charcoal, maybe, to, to look for prints, and that's about it. So very few people in the community, have to, well, very few people that knew her believed it that it was her, but by this point it had been all over the newspapers for the last year, you know, mm. so everyone, she became famous for being this person that killed her parents and got away with it, but I look at this and I, I don't know if it would be her, it doesn't make that much sense to me. I don't think she would, I'd like, with all the evidence that's there, the time frame and everything, that it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and then going that's by also, the fact- Like, if she wasn't read her Miranda rights, like, okay, none of that was admissible in court, but, like, you know, hmm. 
at the end of the day, someone would have spoke out and said she said this, that, and the other yeah. in in her into police interviews. And it, it, I mean, it doesn't even just, it just doesn't make that much sense anyway. Because if she was get that, that was another thing. She um she burned a dress apparently a few um months later that some one of her friends, I think the neighbor, saw her doing it in the kitchen. And she made she was just talking to her about it at the time, and yeah. she said this in court. And the prosecutors were like. They turned it around the pain and were like, well, if she was actually burning evidence, then it, what would she do right in front of you in the kitchen? She wouldn't, would she? And the witnesses were like, well, no, I, goes, I guess she wouldn't, would she? So that kind of killed that point, which is fair as well. Because mm. apparently she's a fucking criminal mastermind if she did do this. Yeah. But um, have you got any other idea of who else it could have been, if so, if not her? No. I, like... So the sister was out, she was out of town, mm. but there was one other person around that didn't really make any sense, and this person has never pigeon. really... Pigeon came pigeon. back to life. The pigeon. The pigeon. Yeah. You guessed it, we're done, okay. <laughs> now, uh, fucking, um, th- weirdly, apparently, this didn't really come out, this opinion, until very recently, I think they said like the 80s or something like that. Yeah. Um, in comparison to when it happened, you know, very recently... Um, the main other suspect over than Lizzie Borden was Uncle John Morse that was there. Mm. Um, basically, he had turned up the night before, completely unannounced, um, without any luggage, which is weird straight away, really. Yeah. Um, and then he was not seen on that day from when he left at 8.30. No, he was seen around 9am, sorry. And he wasn't then later seen until 12pm. The murders happened, they think, around 11am, somewhere. It was 11am when he came back, wasn't it? So, yeah, so it was like, what, 11.05, 11.10, something like that, the murder. He stated, when the police talked to him, because so, obviously they did talk to him, but they just seemed to gloss over it mainly, because he stated mm. um, to the police that he was visiting a sick relative with the town doctor during the time of the murders. Mm. However, and I don't see how this was missed in court, which makes me think, maybe, I don't know, but however, the same doctor that he was apparently with was also looking over the bodies of Mr. and Mrs. Borden at the time. Boss. Exactly. Oh, come, like, on. come on, it's, it's him. him. <laughs> but such a long time frame. Has Uncle Fester. Uncle Fester. Uncle Fester did it. That's it looked, case closed. Done. It looked like Abraham Lincoln, to be honest, more than, more than Fester. <laughs> nice. Uh, Four yeah. score and 20 years ago. A big old bushy beard. Although I don't know if he had the body of Abraham Lincoln, which is fine. <laughs> um, also, the room Abby Borden was found in, um, yeah, was a room that Uncle John Morse slept in the night before. Right. And also, by trade, he is a butcher. And some believe that the wounds could have been caused by a big meat cleaver, which makes sense if you think about Yeah. You know, when yeah. you're forced to go. And the last bit of motive, Morse and Andrew Borden apparently had a failing business together, uh, which was believed to be involved in a motive. Yeah, so it was failing. I don't know how him killing the other person would have helped that, though. Hmm. Insurance, or I don't know, he could took over control of it. Maybe he was doing something that he didn't like how the other guy was doing it, you know, vice versa. You can see something there. There's some connections that it wouldn't just be a random for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, some say that um, Lizzie and the maid did it together because they were lesbian lovers, because it seems that in 
the future. Oh, there's Lizzie always had... a lesbian. There's yeah. always a lesbian involved in these stories, for God's sake. You know, it's well, like Black, Black Swan. It's like oh, for God's uh, sake. It's a great film, just for that one scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like if Brokeback Mountain was like lesbians instead of gays, like honestly, that like would have just forever people, you know, will you know forever what? remember that. I could fully imagine them doing that. They brought out a female Ghostbusters, they could totally bring out a female Brokeback Mountain. It would do better as well. Probably, yeah, yeah, it would. Just because, be blokes, like... just because blokes are wrong guns. Like, honestly, we are just, you know, anything to do with... Oh, two women. Happy days. I love that. Yeah. It's like blokes in clubs. It's like blokes in clubs. Like, the second that you see a girl kissing another girl, every single bloke just goes... You can't help it. It's like... (laughs) It's like, dude, like, get out more. Like, there's plenty of stuff on the internet. Like, you know, just because it's live action, leave it alone. I'd try ask if you can join in because it works sometimes. Like, <laughs> yeah. can I join in? It's like, how creepy would you have to be in order to do that, though? <laughs> Something like Just that, sure, yeah. <laughs> tap them on the shoulder, excuse me, mind if I join? It's like, no. So that was, anyway, though, the story of Lizzie Borden. Um, I think that's everything involved with that. So that, that's the thing, man, with that story. Like, it really surprised me when I first heard about it. I thought, oh, well, she's probably just going to be blatantly definitely killed them all but no i really don't think she did after reading it all yeah i yeah i i think that is trollop i don't think she did it at all trollop. <laughs> but it shows how even back then man like back in the 1800s or wherever it was like the end of the 1800s how much impact the media had because it's still known now the only people i yeah. knew to heard about knew it was a murderer or was a ghost or something you know yeah yeah Stories stand the test of time. It is a thing. The media fucking stand the test of time. Sadly. Hearsay, mate. Hearsay. I don't know. They weren't that good. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the cool cause. One. The what? The cause. No one remembers the cause. They were Irish band. I, I literally have no idea what you're talking about now. Yeah. There's a band. Just look them up after you've done the cause. Oh yeah, I'm it's definitely like, gonna like that. same same era as Anastasia. Oh. So when we were young and we didn't really know anything about music, but we listened to music because we were cool. True. True. Okay, cool. I understand now in that case. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, thank you for that then, man. So I think we're pretty done then now. Sweet. Cool, well, cool. It's been the pleasure, mate. Yeah, yeah, same as always. As always. Oh, Cheers, man. Cool, man. Um, yeah, other than that, then it's just a quiz then in a few weeks, and then you got anything else yeah. to do in beforehand? Uh, again, I've got another um gig that I am attempting to set up uh in Worcester, um, but uh, at the moment, details are fairly light and I haven't arranged anything yet. But hopefully, it should be really good if it gets off the ground. So be good man so yeah quiz uh not this week next week so yeah, yeah cool week. and then i'll let you know any more about what we were talking about before then as well before the call because i'll speak to the other guys about it and then just try and get some stuff sorted out because i've got some cool ideas for things we can do so i'll let you know yeah sweet okay. all sweet. right cool man take care then thank you very much Cheers, for that, as always hello internet you're listening to the in your house comedy podcast with kd and kersey 
Now hold on to your butts. Keep your arms and legs inside the podcast at all times. Prepare to have an autographical orgasm in three, two, two, one.